Welcome to Fading Memories, a supportive podcast for those of us caring for a loved one with memory loss. MBK Senior Communities is dedicated to being the preferred senior living provider in the markets they serve. They create warm, inviting living spaces in desirable locations. They offer a variety of services and programs to enrich the lives of residents and their families. And by getting to know their residents, their personal preferences, and their individual needs, MBK Senior Communities can better contribute to their well-being and provide care that's right for them. They are committed to enhancing independence and quality of life, serving others the way they prefer to be treated, and providing care that is delivered with integrity, dignity, and compassion. Currently serving the Western United States, but expanding. Why not contact your local community for a tour and see for yourself why most of their residents say they felt at home from their very first visit? You can get more information by visiting their website at mbkseniorliving.com or call 949-242-1400. So I thought I'd do something a little different today. I'm going to give you a bit more personal background on me and my family and some of the journeys we've gone through with our family. It's November 1st and <clears throat> excuse me, I've been thinking quite a bit about my dad lately. There's a lot of reasons for it, some of which are probably cuz half of his children's birthdays are this month, two-thirds of his grandchildren's birthdays are this month and there's just a lot of memories that are popping up in my head. So the significance of today being November 1st is that it was two years ago today that I had my last actual sit-down meal with both of my parents together. It wasn't an easy visit. Dad didn't seem well and mom never said much of anything anymore. I wish that I was aware of what was going on with my dad at the time. It might have made what followed that day a lot easier. For regular listeners, you may know that my dad passed away on March 2nd, 2017, but I haven't talked about what happened in the three months prior to that all that much. I thought telling his story might be useful since there were so many warning signs we missed and I've learned so many things about lifestyle choices and our health that go hand in hand with what happened. So November 1st, 2017, I was in their town for a vet appointment with my oldest dog, Ginger. So I made arrangements to go to lunch with them. Looking back, I'm kind of surprised that my dad always wanted to go out to eat. He wasn't much of a cook at all, so I assumed that was why. But now I'm kind of wondering. Taking mom out to most restaurants wasn't the best experience because even a relatively quiet one caused her to become agitated and complain about the noise. Needless to say, her frequent negative comments about the noise, especially when it was lower than many restaurants, and most restaurants are pretty loud these days, it didn't make for a pleasant time together. I now suspect that the simple steps involved in putting together even a simple meal was more than my dad could handle. That's a common sign of early memory loss, one that's easy to miss. It was easy to assume he just wanted to get out of the house even if mom wasn't easy to be with. I remember watching mom pretty closely because I had suspected for a while that she couldn't process written words anymore. She would look at a menu, then ask my dad what he was having. 
That in itself was unusual. Dad was a very picky eater. He hated onions, garlic, sauces, unless it was gravy, and Mom liked all of those a lot. So it would be out of character for her to want to eat what he was eating. At this particular lunch, he made a suggestion of what he thought she would like, and that's what she ordered. That's also another warning sign that's very easy to miss, is the inability to make you know, have memories that allow you to do daily tasks. Reading a menu, especially a lot of restaurants where there's lots of things on the menu is overwhelming. And if your brain is not processing what you're seeing very well, it's just, it's too much to decide on. I'm sure you've had a menu where there's so many good things, it's very difficult to decide. Now add in some memory challenges and you can kind of get the idea of why my mom always asked what other people were having. I had been growing concerned about my mom and how her disease was progressing, but Dad never wanted to talk about that. What I did find surprising and concerning that day was that he ordered a Cobb salad, of which he barely ate half. I remember asking him if he was feeling okay, but got mostly a brush-off answer. Other than a text message the following week on election night, that was the last time I saw my dad in what I thought was a more and more pardon me, more normal state of mind for him. It was apparent that he wasn't doing really well, and I said as much to my husband. I emphasized that we were going to have to do what we could to help him more with mom, a challenge we had been trying hard to solve for many, many months. When you work and live 40 minutes away, it's hard to step in and help without sacrificing something in your own life. And since we were both self-employed, if you don't work, you don't eat and I like to eat. Dad also never indicated that he needed help, so it was pretty easy to put off stepping in. That's something I really regret. So after returning home from a much-earned birthday vacation, because, you know, a girl only turns 50 once, right? I called my dad, and it was obvious that something wasn't right. We made arrangements to spend an afternoon together and put up some Christmas decorations for Mom. Neither one of them was able to manage the task, and I knew it was important to my mom. Or at least I thought it was. More on that in a bit. It took a phone call and then a follow-up email to cement those plans, which was pretty unusual. My dad sent an email that questioned what we discussed in the previous day's phone conversation, which was definitely a warning sign, and I realized something was wrong, but I had really no idea what could possibly be going on, which, you know, considering my mom has had Alzheimer's for like 18 years, it should have been pretty obvious, I think. So on November 29th, 2017, my family of three went to mom and dad's house. My husband arrived first and realized immediately that something was very, very wrong. When he greeted dad, dad asked him how the credit union business was going. Well, My husband had worked in the credit unions until 2004, when he became a realtor. Hubby called Dad's best friend to try and help convince him he needed to get to the doctor or the hospital. Nothing that friend did worked. It took a phone call to Dad's doctor to reluctantly get him to allow us to take him to the hospital. When I look back, I'm a little surprised that the doctor wasn't more alarmed or more forthcoming with what he thought might be going on, but... Maybe he just assumed that that would be discussed in person. I don't know, and this doctor has left the practice, so I'm not ever going to be able to ask him. 
When I got there, my dad was very confused and very sleepy, despite the fact that he'd been asleep when hubby got there. He'd also wet himself, which, and he wasn't aware of it, which was really, really concerning. I mean, my dad was a proud Marine, and that's not something, you know, it's not something anybody wants to have happen, but especially if you aren't even aware of what happened. What we didn't know at the time was that dad needed to be back on dialysis because his donated kidney was failing. I knew he didn't want to go through dialysis again, but I assumed, wrongly, that there would have been a family discussion about hospice and other details like what we would do with my mom, but that was not the case because none of us knew that out-of-whack blood sugar and kidneys that didn't work could cause memory loss. We rushed him to the hospital. They reassured us with a couple of, that a couple of dialysis treatments and his memory should come back. I don't know who they were trying to convince because that never happened. What did happen was pure panic and confusion. We had to figure out how to care for mom while he was in the hospital, which was challenging because I didn't have a guest room and neither did my sister. Bouncing mom back and forth between houses caused her to become frustrated and aggressive, which is really understandable. Even if your mind is good, bouncing from your house to your two different kids' homes and never quite sure where you're going to be when is just too much. And if you don't remember what's going on, you can only imagine what that was like for her and the rest of us. After 32 days in the hospital, they pretty much kicked Dad out. He was aware there was a gap in his memory, and he was anxious to fill that gap. So my sister was very positive that things would get better. But I am more of a negative personality, something I struggle with and try to overcome regularly. And I wasn't quite so sure. I mean, 32 days and he still had a gap in his memory? Meh, didn't seem too overly optimistic to me. But I wanted to be positive for him and my mom and my sister, and so I hoped. But that was not to be, not to happen. He was also really anxious to demonstrate that he could still fully drive his car, which was not going to happen. My husband and I had actually moved his car to my house, which is 20 miles away, because the last car ride I had with him back in October of 2017 was so terrifying that there was no way I was letting him anywhere near a car until I knew he was fully capable of handling it safely. After three days at home, spending nearly every hour in his recliner, Dad tripped over the step leading out of the living room and ended up in the hospital again. Over breakfast the next day, my hubby wondered out loud how many times we were going to go through this before Dad was gone. I looked up and said, it's not because we're not going to keep taking him to the hospital. I realized at that moment I had made one of the toughest decisions of my life. That was a Sunday morning, and the following day, I started calling hospice companies, and I landed on one that my friend had recommended. Making the decision to call hospice was tough, but signing the papers with them was even harder. It was like signing off of just allowing him to die, and they were very good about reassuring me that that's really not what I was doing, and because of his advanced health directive, I knew that's what he wanted. I knew it was the right decision, and it was still, it was still hard to do. He had started the process by not admitting he needed dialysis. He assumed, 
somewhat logically, that after a couple of weeks, he would fall asleep and not wake up. That's what we were told would happen with a, di- with a diabetic who quit having dialysis, but that's not what happened with him. Having no idea that he was dying, Dad resisted allowing the caregivers to help him. Because his blood sugar was completely off the charts, he wasn't even pleasant to be around, and he was very hard on the people who were there to care for both of them. He told all of his visitors that he was fighting to get over either a cold or the flu. He didn't know what. He had no idea what was going on, which made it even harder for those of us that were spending time with him. You couldn't tell him what was going on because his memory didn't allow him to accept what was happening. Even then, no one told any of us that out-of-control blood sugar could definitely cause memory loss, which I'm shocked about. I had no idea that there was a link between high blood sugar and memory loss. After starting this podcast and doing more research on lifestyle choices as a prevention, I found out about the link. We have a large family history of diabetes on my dad's side of the family, but not a lot of memory loss, so I had no way of connecting the two. Perhaps the reason for this is because most of the family members kept their blood sugars in check through diet and medication, but I'm not really sure. Very recent research suggests that interventions that delay the onset of diabetes, as well as management strategies for blood sugar control, could help alleviate the progression of future cognitive decline. Now, you kind of think, why didn't his uh, diabetic doctor, his kidney doctor, ever discuss this with him? I don't know. Maybe she did. I'll never know these answers, and that's frustrating to me, but I'm sharing them with you because, as most of us know, we have quite the epidemic of diabetes, type 2 diabetes, because, you know, us Americans, we like our our processed foods and our breads and our pastas. And I don't want to talk about that. That's making me hungry and it's getting close to dinner. So let's not talk about food too much. I wonder what my dad would have done though with that information. He did not eat properly, nor did he exercise. I've talked to many people who are surprised that he didn't have memory issues much earlier in his disease. So again, you know, after the fact, I'm learning all these things that maybe could have helped my dad definitely could have helped the family. So that's why I'm sharing them with you guys, because I really don't want anybody else to go through what we did. When I went to one of my first grief counseling sessions, group group sessions with hospice, um, everybody said what a great experience it was. They were there the last moment their loved one was alive, and they held her hand and, and this and that. It was all well you know, rainbows and unicorns. And here's me with, you know, the whole process was ugly and unpleasant and just miserable. So I actually joined an Alzheimer's caregiver support group, and that actually has helped me a lot more. So keep those couple of things in mind as well. So anyway, uncontrolled diabetes wasn't the only high risk factor that my dad had. He also took medication for high blood pressure. Back in 2007, he had had a four-way heart bypass operation, so his heart wasn't great either. In fact, while he was in the hospital the second time, the kidney doctor spent 20 minutes talking to me about the decline, or excuse me, the delicate balance they were trying to achieve with keeping his heart rate from plummeting too far during dialysis and actually making the dialysis process happen. This was when I knew for sure that he wouldn't be continuing on that path. 
So what's the connection between high blood pressure and Alzheimer's? High blood pressure can damage small blood vessels in the brain, affecting the parts of the brain responsible for thinking and memory. So can controlling blood pressure through medication also lower Alzheimer's risks? Researchers have known about this link between blood pressure and Alzheimer's for years. In 2013, investigators showed that older people with high blood pressure or hypertension were more likely to show higher risks of Alzheimer's. So, hello. That's also something we can do things about. And when we think about it, you know, everybody wants to live as long as possible and they want to be as healthy as possible. So here are two things we need to keep in mind. We need to keep our blood sugar in line and we need to keep our blood pressure in line. Easier said than done, I'm sure. I know. I am a sugar freak. And unfortunately, in the last two years dealing with my parents and my mom, I've put on some pounds that I'm struggling to take off. And so my blood pressure is a little bit higher than I would like. So I'm working on it. It seems I lose weight when I'm trying really, really hard to lose weight. If I'm just trying to lose weight, it it just maintains. And if I'm trying to maintain, I gain it. So soon after the election, after hubby wins city council, gonna, I'm going to try really, really hard, even though it'll be the holidays. Another study found that the more blood pressure varied over an eight-year period, the greater the risk of memory loss. So it's also a really good idea to get it in control and keep it in control. Or don't let it get out of control would be even a better option, but hey, none of us are perfect. While more research investigates the brain benefits of blood pressure medications, you can play it smart by taking healthy lifestyle steps to keep your blood pressure in a healthy range. You know, that old saying... Diet and exercise. And we've had two episodes that I've linked in the show notes on exercise alone. Again, there's been a ton of research in the last year or so on how exercise is good for your brain. It's good for your heart. It allows your brain to grow better and stronger neurons, which is what keeps your brain firing. So if you don't want to lose your memories might want to take a brisk walk around the block or ride your bike or chase the dog or the grandkids or something, anything. After you hear this, or even if you're sitting, if you're sitting still and listening to this podcast, grab your earbuds, grab your phone, take me along with you on a walk. And I'll tell you the rest of the story about my dad. When my dad was diagnosed with diabetes, he said, you know, I'm going to eat what I want and die happy. We all told him, that's not likely going to happen. And let me tell you, it did not happen at all. As I mentioned a minute ago, the last couple months of his life were not easy. They were not easy for him because he had no idea what was going on. They were not easy for us because we did. And we couldn't talk to him about what was going on. We couldn't have the pleasant reminiscences that people talk about. We couldn't talk about... the family vacations we'd taken as kids or when we both got married or when the grandkids were born or any of those things. So we didn't have any closure, maybe. I can tell you that I'm still a little angry with him that he didn't talk about the fact that he needed to be back on dialysis. He didn't didn't talk to either of us daughters or our husbands 
or even my daughter, who is an adult, about what we needed to do with my mom, you know, what we needed to do while he was on hospice. I mean, one of the things that baffles me to this day is the fact that he just assumed he would not wake up one day. Well, my mom's memory is about two minutes, or it was then. It's actually worse now, which is another reason I think my dad's been a lot on my mind this week. I have no idea how long my dad may have been in that recliner with my mom assuming he was asleep. I am assuming that it would have taken the visit of one of his friends to realize what happened. And that is just a trauma that I'm really glad didn't happen because I can only imagine. I mean, we just had Halloween and, you know, I just, I can only imagine. My husband and I have talked about this a lot over the last 18 months. And the more we've talked about it as a way of trying to have closure and a little healing for myself and somewhat for him as well, I've come to the conclusion that he actually had signs of memory loss that I missed. One of which, and I'm not sure if I've talked about this on prior episodes or not, so I'm sorry if it's a repeat. I don't go back and re-listen to my own episodes much, or thought at all, because I know what they say, and so I don't feel like I need to, but maybe I should. There was a day, I believe it was September 2017, he'd had some eye surgery that I never quite understood what it was for, but, you know... It was his choice, and the doctor thought it was necessary, so I didn't question it. About two weeks after the surgery, when he should have been pretty much healed up and recuperated, he called me up, and he was just really upset with my mom. She had moved his prescription glasses. He'd worn glasses his whole life. She'd moved them. He'd put them away somewhere, and he couldn't find them. Well, you know, my mom's memory was no good, so that didn't seem like an unusual possibility, It wasn't until later in early 2017, excuse me, that happened in September 2016. So 2017, right around the time he died and mom moved into the memory community, I started reading other books on Alzheimer's and they're linked on my favorite things page for you. That was an example in one of the books of a warning sign of memory loss was basically accusing your spouse of moving or losing your things. And glasses was actually the example they used. And it wasn't that kind of a smack in the face. It was like, wow, you know, I never, ever thought that dad was having memory problems when he said that. And of course, right now I'm having a little bit of a memory problem because there was another example that I totally can't remember right now. And it's okay. I I have very little fear at this point that I have any signs of Alzheimer's because it's kind of a focus for me all the time now. I post the warning signs of Alzheimer's for you so that you guys can be reminded, and I can almost always remember all 10. The 10 is a lot, but I don't have any of those signs, so the fact that I can't remember the other example is kind of frustrating, but not unusual. Vision problems is another issue, but because he wore glasses his whole life, I'm not sure that anybody would even know if he was having vision problems that were due to his brain not processing the input from his eyes versus just the problems he had, you know, with his eyes forever. I I wear glasses for driving and 
As I said, half of my dad's kids have a birthday this month. And since there's only two of us, I guess you can kind of guess which one of us is having a birthday. Yes, I'll be 52 in two little over two weeks. And yes, I need the cheaters from the dollar store. I have them all over the house, just like all the other lady friends that I've got. So I actually have a vision problem that is brain-related. I have lazy eye. My brain only accepts the input from one eye at a time. So if I had a new vision problem that was hard to diagnose different from what I already have, I'm not sure they would ever know that maybe that was a sign of memory loss or Alzheimer's for me. So that, that warning sign doesn't really apply because I'm not sure you'd ever know. So while my dad was on hospice, we had some funny stories, kind of funny. I've, I don't know if I've ever mentioned that. The hospice team, they thought it was really great that I had this dark sense of humor. They said it was refreshing. And I'm never really sure if that was a positive thing or not, because when the hospice team tells you your dark sense of humor is refreshing, you got to kind of wonder if maybe you should have a little shift in your humor. But I took it as a positive because the whole scenario was just so hard. But there was one day he was just being a real pill with the caregiver. She was trying to help him with his insulin shot and something my sister wanted to continue. If you haven't experienced significant out-of-whack blood sugar, you probably don't know how terrible it makes you feel. You know, some of us get hangry or you know, we, our blood sugar gets out of whack. We get grumpy or we don't feel good, but multiply that by 10 or 20 or 50 times. And that's maybe might give you a clue as to what he was experiencing. So he was being quite nasty. And I stepped in to, to try to alleviate the situation and kind of give her a break because, you know, she was trying to help him and he was not being nice. And he yelled at me. And so I, I went in the kitchen and my husband and I had heads together and we were chatting. I don't remember what we discussed, but what I do remember is my mom sticking her head between the two of us and saying, you know, if he's being nasty, you can just go in there and tell him to drop dead. And that was the funniest thing. I mean, it's sad because she had no idea what was going on, but it was also funny because there was no way I was going to tell him that ever, but most especially not while that was actually what was happening. So, you know, perhaps the dark humor did kind of come down the genetic line there, even if my mom didn't realize what she was saying. The hospice people really didn't want to keep trying to give him insulin because there's risks. And it was always a balance. If he didn't take it, we didn't worry about it because the insulin was both was there to help keep him healthy and hospice is quite the opposite. So the one thing that I've emphasized before in previous episodes and a little bit here today is that you really, really need a plan, a plan of action, and everybody needs to be on board. I just did an interview of a family it's a podcaster whose grandmother died this past June, and I interviewed he and his mom, so be looking up that for that. It's going to have to be a two-part episode again because we talked for two hours, and we probably could have talked for more, but 
I finally had to cut it off because, you know, (laughs) two hours is a long time. So that'll be coming up later on this month. But they, when her mom, his grandma was, well, her husband took care of her. And when he got to the point that he couldn't do it anymore, he, he said, I can't do this anymore. This is what I need you to do for me. And they came together as a family and how they handled it is how everybody should handle it. So definitely listen for that. I don't want to give too much away because it's so awesome. But what my dad should have done, he should have been a lot more open. He should have said, you know, your mom frustrates me to no end. He didn't have a lot of patience as it was. It wasn't part of his personality. He got easily frustrated when things didn't go the way he thought they should, which is, eh something I have to struggle with a little bit. I'm not quite as hard-edged like that as he was, but I I do definitely lean towards his personality more than my mom's. He did a lot of good things with the trust and investments and making sure that they had money for their end years. I don't want to say golden years because I don't think they've been golden for either one of them. But there was not a lot of conversation with, hey, I need help with this, or I need you to take mom out, or something, anything. There definitely needed to be discussions about what was going on with him. And that's one of the other reasons that I look back and I think, hmm, I think he had some cognitive issues, because he was a planner. I'm a planner, and I can't imagine that he just assumed we'd all just wing it and make it all happen. Because as most of you who are listening know, this is not an easy process and it's not quick. And you have to make choices when you're thrust into something in an emergency situation like I and my family were, my whole family, my sister and her kids and my husband and my daughter and I, and even to some distant extent, my mom's siblings you know, all of a sudden it's like, holy cow, you know, like, what are we going to do? And don't do that to your family. Don't do that to your friends. Come together and discuss, you know, my family knows exactly what I want. Um, I'm actually going to do an advanced health directive with a lawyer that says if my mind goes so bad that I have to have somebody else take care of me, you know, I am absolutely okay with being euthanized. We do that with our pets. It's horrible and it's sad, but it's also kind. And, um, you know, I I know why people would not want to do that with a human. And I know why that there's a lot of risks and slippery slopes with that. And I'm hoping that something will change before I get to that point. Hopefully I don't get to that point. I have a lot of years left, I think, because my maternal grandmother lived to 91 and my paternal grandmother is a hundred and a half. And next month, so about in about two months from now, slightly less, she'll be a hundred and three quarters. And she's still going fine. So I'm I'm planning on being like her, which, you know, that's a good thing to do. You've heard me say positive mind is good for your body, it's good for your brain. You know, don't talk negative about yourself. It's it's a challenge. We're we're not good at that. But my family also needs to know, or also does know, that if there's any usable part left on me, eyes, tissue, lungs, whatever, please feel free to give them to somebody else that could use them because 
I don't need them. I don't, I, I would rather somebody go around with my eyes or my corneas and maybe see things the way I did, which partly is wacky and partly is creative because I'm an artist and I see things differently than a lot of people. I see a lot of the beauty in the world, so maybe pass that on. But my point is, you know, talk to your family about what you want and what you don't want and listen to them about what they can and cannot do for you. I could not take care of my mom full time. It is not something that I'm mentally or physically capable of doing. And sometimes I feel really guilty about that. It seems selfish to say that, but it's not. When my dad died, I was just over 50. I still work. I still have dreams of things I want to do. And I could not see tying myself down for 5, 10, or you know, 20 years before I could do any of those things again. You know, the difference between 50 and 70 is a lot. And I just couldn't, I know from dealing with my mom while my dad was in the hospital, it just wasn't, it's just not in me. I have a hard enough time with all of the stuff that I do with her and for her. And that kind of brings me back to, I mentioned earlier that one of the other reasons dad was on my mind this week is because (sighs) my mom's slipping We had a dentist appointment, or she had a dentist appointment on Monday, and it did not go well. I've taken her to four dental appointments since my dad died, and the previous three have been fine. Teeth were fine. They were clean. No complaints. No, nothing I needed to worry about. And Monday was entirely different. Uh, She gagged and choked and threatened to throw up. They had to get her out of the dental chair and in a normal upright, you know, table chair desk chair, whatever you want to call them. And she's not doing a good job brushing her teeth. She's really resistant to changing clothes. She doesn't really comb her hair. I brought her a new brush, a new comb. They're gone. I have no idea where they went. She doesn't recognize, if she, if she doesn't recognize something as hers, she gives it away. And because she doesn't remember two minutes ago, anything that's new is unfamiliar and disappears. So I wonder, you know, what kind of struggles my dad had in that regard and what it was like for him when he realized that the woman he'd known since she was 14 or 15 years old was slipping away even further. In some respects, I'm glad he didn't have to see the end for her because in the last six months, four months maybe, it's definitely gotten harder. It happens slowly, and then all of a sudden, wham, you're kind of smacked in the face with a realization that, you know, things aren't really going, I mean, they're never going to get better. And all of a sudden, one day, you realize that what you kind of sort of suspected and maybe kind of were trying to ignore is definitely happening. So mom has an appointment with a neurologist on December 3rd. I'm not sure what I'm expecting other than her new nurse practitioner told me that a new visit with a a neurologist might give us some sort of answers on timeline, which I know sounds really bad, but it's, it's so hard to be in the dark. And that's another thing. They never talk to us about doctor visits. The, The new nurse practitioner asked me if... You know, who's your mom's neurologist? I don't know. 
And to, to have to answer, I don't know, to so many questions about my mom, who I am her healthcare power of attorney person, and to not know the answers, is, it was embarrassing, and it made me feel bad, like I'm not doing a good job. And, you know, I don't need that kind of guilt. Nobody does. So I guess thinking about my dad this week and thinking about all the things that I wish I could talk to him about, you know, the current election that my husband's running in again and the fall, and it's just been beautiful the last six weeks. And the holidays coming up, you know, with my daughter's birthday. Let's see, my niece is on the 10th, and my daughter's the 14th, and I'm the 17th, and one of my dogs is the 12th, but we won't talk about that. And, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas, and then my mom's birthday is January 12th. I mean, there's just a lot of family things happening this time of year, and, you know, he's gone. Um, we didn't get a last Christmas with him because he was in the hospital. So I guess my th- parting words of wisdom, and I hope this is, hasn't been too much of a dower. I, I really hesitated on doing this episode like this because I try to keep it positive and upbeat because, you know, Alzheimer's and dementia is already a big downer, so you don't need to listen to me be a downer. So I'm hoping this wasn't too too dark. But my my final parting words of wisdom are talk to your family. Talk to your friends. Let everybody know what's going on, how they can help, what you want, what you need, what you expect you might need in the future, what you want done with you when you're gone. Um, Thankfully, we found papers for my dad that he'd pre-planned most of his funeral and and burial um, because in California, there aren't a lot of places to bury people if you haven't planned that out years ago. So, you know, there's a lot to think about. And if you don't let other people know what you're planning, what you want, not only will you maybe not get it, but you also might just traumatize the heck out of your family And two years later, they might be, you know, wandering around in their life, taking care of all their daily things, and and you keep constantly popping up in their head, and they're asking, you know, why, why this, why that, why didn't Dad talk to me about this, you know, and you know, it's and why did he have to go the hard way, you know, if he had just said, I'm pretty sure I need to be on dialysis, and I don't want to do it. And I, I just can't do it. And if anybody out there listening has done dialysis or has a family member that's done dialysis, it's really not, you know, it, it wipes you out. You don't feel better afterwards. You feel worse. And it's three days a week, four hours a time. And, you know, those three days you feel like you've been run over by a truck. You know, I can totally understand why he didn't want to do that. And I respected that. But I didn't respect the fact that he just kind of assumed he'd just go peacefully and we'd all just deal with it. So don't do that to your family. And take care of yourself. The holidays are coming. We just had Halloween. I got candy sitting on my counter. I'm a sugar freak. I'm going to have to put it in Ziploc bags and stick it in the pantry so that it's out of sight, mostly out of mind. Sugar is never out of my mind far enough, unfortunately. Um, keep up with the exercise. The holidays can be really stressful. There's a lot of stuff we want to do, a lot of things we feel we need to do when we're taking care of somebody with memory loss. Changes in routines are, you know, cause stress and mayhem and, you know, the holidays do that enough. So take care of yourself. Take a walk. Take the family member with you. I mean, even if you have to walk a block, go back and catch up to them. 
you know, even if you have to walk back and forth, back and forth in front of the house, whatever you need to do. I take my mom out to the park almost every time I go visit her because it helps me, it helps her. And two weeks ago when I took her out, she said, I told her, you know, it's a beautiful day and the fall weather is so nice. And if we don't get out now, you know, at some point I was kind of struggling for the end of that sentence. And she said, well, if we don't enjoy it right now, somebody else will, which I thought was really kind of a funny response. And she's kind of right, but it's not like we all couldn't enjoy the beautiful weather together. And I said, you know, if it's not too bad and not too cold, maybe we can come out here with some blankets and and enjoy the winter because, you know, Northern California is not that cold. It's cold to me, but people in other parts of the country would just laugh at what I think is cold. And then I said, you know, we'll bring we'll bring some blankets and we'll bring, you know, thermoses of hot chocolate. And she really liked that idea. Now, I don't know if I actually get her to do it. I will try. But, you know, it helps her to get out in the nature and it helps me, gives us something to talk about, something other than her asking me the same questions over and over. She talks about the sky and the trees. And, and I, I suspect after our last walk in the park, we might not have a lot of those coming up. She had... Um, definite problems with the ground was mostly flat but there were quite a lot of leaves on it and she just was very very concerned about stability even though I was walking around in wedgie boots and had no problems and I kept encouraging her that it was flat so she she was having the visual spatial spatial issues that are very common and she was very hesitant walking so that's also pretty new, and that coupled with the dentist appointment that was kind of a disaster makes me realize that you know the time might be less with her than I expected, and the time with her being able to do things like go to get her nails done and go to the park and go to Starbucks and all these good things, those days might be dwindling. I, I don't know if I hope that's the case or not. This has been a very long journey with my mom, and I hope I'll learn more at the neurology appointment on the on the 3rd of December. I'm hoping they'll let me record it so that I can share some of my some of the insights with you guys. I don't know. We'll we'll have to see how that comes out. So, anyway, this is coming out on November 6th, 2018. If you haven't gone and voted and you're listening to this in real time, go vote. You keep hearing this might be the vote of our our generation, which, you know, there are a lot of reasons we need to go vote. So please do it. And if you happen to be in Brentwood, California, that is Northern California in the San Francisco Bay Area, vote for John Fink for city council because we need him. He's the most experienced candidate, and I'm really terrified that he's not going to get elected again. And that's another reason I've been thinking about my dad because he was excited that my husband was running for city council two years ago. And I'm not sure that he knew that my husband came in third because the last text message with my dad was more about the other part of the election that I'm not going to discuss. So anyway, we have to live our lives, even when we're taking care of people whose lives are trapped in a little small bubble. And we have to take care of ourselves because if we fall apart, you know, there might not be somebody there as capable or as loving to take care of our loved ones as us. So, I have a really special episode for you guys next week, 
And then I've got more family discussions. The one I told you about with the podcaster and his mom. Another one with a gal who comes and visits her dad twice a year from out of state. She stays with me. So we're going to get to hear about those families and how they cope with their family members and Alzheimer's. And there's a lot of good things coming up. I'm going to give you tips on how to deal with the holidays. And I don't know. I got a lot of things that are cooking, but they haven't come to a boil yet. So I don't want to, I don't want to promise you something that's not going to happen. So anyway, like I said, I hope this wasn't too much of a bummer. I hope it kind of gives you an insight as to where I am, who I am, what I've experienced. If you like it, give me a shout out. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can email me. I'm not hard to find. All of them are linked on the website, fadingmemoriespodcast.com, which you can also find in the show notes. I think I might even link all my social media accounts in today's show notes. So if you hate this, you can say, hey, don't do any more of those because it really was not great. And if you loved it, you can tell me. And if you, you thought it was fine, but keep up with the way I've been doing things, I'd really love to hear from you guys. Um, this has been a very exciting journey thus far. And I'm looking forward to the second half of my first year as a podcaster and the holidays and everything else. So I will talk to you guys next week when I have, again, a very special episode for you. So thanks for listening. Thanks for putting up with my memories of my dad. And take care of yourself. Take care of your family members. And I will talk to you guys again next week. Definitely check out the show notes or even the webpage for each episode. I include a lot of additional useful information every week. And definitely check out the My Favorite Things page because I created that specifically so that you did not have to hunt down some of the best books and tools to utilize with your loved one. Now, stay tuned at the end of the episode because I've got something special coming up for you. Are you looking for a way to connect with your loved one? Maybe an activity you can do together instead of sitting around answering the same questions over and over again? Have you checked out two lap books yet? If you haven't, you're missing out on something that I am certain you and your loved ones will thoroughly enjoy. Two lap books have changed many of the visits I've had with mom tremendously. These simple read aloud books were created specifically for memory challenged adults. You see, people living with Alzheimer's eventually lose their ability to initiate conversation with others. Because of this, these uniquely adapted books, quote, give voice to these loved ones. By using the book's large, simple text and beautiful, colorful illustrations, we can initiate conversations. Most noteworthy, we can make meaningful connections with our loved ones and help stimulate their mind. Caregivers will enjoy sharing these books and creating purposeful, interactive activities for engaging people with memory deficits. Reading these books together could very likely bring out memories you can cherish together. There's a link in the show notes to the My Favorite Things page on my website. The page is linked to the Amazon pages of all my favorite books and products that have helped me with my mom over the years. Definitely check it out. I'm certain you'll find something that will help you like they helped me. That's why I created this page for you. Could you do me a favor? Can you go to Apple iTunes and leave a rating or even a quick review? This is how new people find my podcast, and I can't be a supportive podcast if people don't know about me. If you've listened to the last two episodes, then you've heard 
a promo of one of my favorite independent podcasts, Piping Hot Tea. It's funny, it makes me laugh, and it gets me started on a great note every time I listen to it. So stay tuned and definitely check them out. Hey everyone, I'm Vince. And I'm Emily, and we are hosts of Piping Hot Tea. Piping Hot Tea is a comedy podcast where we discuss anything and everything. You will not find another podcast like us. We bring you fresh, new, off-the-wall topics that are relatable and fun. You can listen to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter for episode updates, debates, and so much more. If you want to connect with us, use the hashtag Podcast. You may hear us fight sometimes, because we pretty much fight in every episode. Seriously? Did you have to bring that up in the promo? What? Honestly. Did you... Okay, well, you might as well just end it. Okay. Okay.